Kieran Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. This is Friday Night at Blockbuster. We are back, and this is the first episode that we're actually recording in a number of weeks. And so before we get into the movie swap, I just wanted to look back at some of the movies that you've been watching over the last couple of weeks, Kate, because I think you had a bit of a run here of like newer movies. So on on the plane, what did what did you watch going to Ireland and coming back from Ireland? So on the flights, I got to watch three movies. Uh, so I watched She Said, which was the Harvey Weinstein Me Too movement Jur- journalist journalist drama. drama. Thriller, yeah, yeah. Um, really, really actually enjoyed it. I thought they did a good job at exploring it without giving too much screen time to the Harvey Weinstein and the Donald Trumps and things like that. It really focused on the two women. Um, So I really enjoyed it. The second one I watched on the way to Ireland was Oceans 8. We've now done the... Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. We did the Oceans movies. And at that time, I tried to watch all of them and couldn't find Oceans 8, I think, on any streaming service at the time. And all of a sudden, it was just on the plane. And it was on the plane. And so I was like, sweet, a good kind of uh, second movie when it's, you know midnight in whatever time zone you're in it's a nice movie to just put on i enjoyed it um and then on the way home i got to watch where the crawdads sing yeah uh kieran keeps correcting me i think i keep saying it wrong so yeah (laughs) uh so finally got to watch it partly because i've just heard so much back and forth on is it good is it bad people either love it or hate it i kind of fell right in the middle I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I didn't read the book, so I have nothing to compare it to. I We've kind of talked about it a little bit already, but for everybody listening now, the only thing I wish is at the end when they did the reveal, I would have wanted one scene to just show how she... How had, she does what she does. How she does what she does. Yeah, let's not give anything away. It is a bit of a mystery. So, so. But yeah, other than that, um, I thought she did a great job. So, Yeah, like Daisy Edgar Jones continues to impress me she continues to be someone that like i'm gonna keep my eye on and keep watching the crawdads movie just did not work for me at all like i i didn't really love the book either i finished the book and didn't love it and then our mom was sort of like i'd like to go see the movie and i i think i just finished the book like that week and so it was kind of fresh and i was like well you know what i have problems with the book but maybe they smooth things over in the movie. And I was just sitting there being like, they, they didn't smooth did anything smooth anything <laughs> over here. Really did not enjoy it. Uh, so if that's, if that was where you're playing movies, when we were in Ireland, you got to watch two new movies to you as well. Yeah. One was the Boston Strangler movies with Kira Knightley. Yeah. And then the other one was Top Gun Maverick. Finally got to watch that one. So, <laughs> so. What, what, what do you make of those two movies? Um, the Top Gun Maverick, just a fun movie. Uh, like, it's just, yeah, it's just fun watching them do the fights or the flight scenes, them in the cockpits and things like that. Um, I had been hesitant to watch it because I have only just watched the first Top Gun within the past six months, maybe. And was kind of like, well, I feel like I need to watch the first one to watch the second sequel, the sequel now. And everybody was kind of like, you don't need to. Yeah, like, you, you don't really <laughs> need to. Like our cousin hadn't. And. I basically walked her through the people that the had, people that were important within yeah. five minutes, and we put the movie on. And she was like, "Yeah, I, I get it." Yeah. So, so it was just fun. Um, that one was good, and then yeah, the Boston Strangler one was interesting. I'm trying to remember all the bits of it now, um, but I really liked the Keir, like Kira Knightley's character. Yeah. yeah. 
I think she did a really good job. I was kind of thinking about other movies I really enjoy her in. And I love her in not period pieces, but like not contemporary movies. Yeah, like costume dramas. And, yeah. 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 Where she kind of plays somebody's from the 50s or 60s or even earlier. Yeah. I think she does those roles really well. But well, she's kind of like the patron saint of them now. Like yeah. Every movie she does <laughs> seems to be a period piece in one way or another. In some so, way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. And then, once again, I tend to do a lot of research kind of after some of these movies. And so just doing a bit more research on the whole Boston Strangler and was it one person or multiple people and copycats and all that kind of was just interesting to do some reading so i think with the boston strangler one when i was watching it i couldn't help but think of other movies that were similar that like it's so clearly riffing off it's so clearly sort of being like i'm gonna take that bit from that movie and that bit from that movie and like one of them was zodiac which we may end up doing on this podcast because it's a david fincher movie and it's maybe his masterpiece um the see, the she said movie that you watch on the plane, I think, is actually also very similar in terms of it's like it's two women journalists tracking yeah. down this sort of case, and there's a bit of a you know dark sexual element and and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think the the she said movie, um, I remember watching that last year and, and enjoying it and thinking like, yeah, that's pretty good. They, they, you know, they did a yeah. good, pretty good job. I think what differentiated Boston Strangler for me is that I didn't really know any of the story. I oh, literally okay. just knew that there was a Boston Strangler, but I had no idea about anything else. Whereas with all the Weinstein stuff, because it's contemporary, I sort of was sitting there being like, oh, I kind of know some of this story already. So you're not really telling me anything new. Um, yeah. Whereas the Boston Strangler one was like, whoa, what? the hell's going on here i think for me the she said harvey weinstein one for me yes it's contemporary and yes i kind of knew some information but at the time it was all kind of coming out i don't think i had access like i wasn't watching the news I, yeah, yeah all yeah. of that yeah so like i heard tidbits or i would see things on social media but because i at that time i was kind of like i don't really want to read more about you right now like i don't want to give you my yeah. time of day yeah, absolutely i just kind of avoided it um, so for me, it was interesting to now see it done this way and from their perspective. So myself, I was a bit all over the map here. Yeah. What were your movies? Well, going, going to Ireland, I actually only watched one because I, f I fell asleep on the plane. I never ever sleep on the plane, but I fell asleep on the plane. And so the only thing I watched going over was the adventures of Robin Hood, which is the Errol Flynn, like 1938 was version. This, I now. Was this on the plane or no, was no, this no, on no. your laptop? This, this was, okay, I, this was I, an intentional yeah. I'm going to watch. Yeah. I, okay. So I load up my laptop with movies for plane rides because I can never... A, the movies are always kind of newer movies and I tend to keep up with newer things. So like most of the time I will have seen the movies. And so if I don't want to watch something that I've already seen before, I will load up my laptop with movies. But then the whole thing comes in your head of like, well, they can't be... There can't be any sort of like gratuitous sex or nudity. Yes. There can't be sort of like crazy amounts of violence because I don't want somebody looking over my shoulder and being like, what is this psychopath? Watching? Yeah. Why is this guy sitting by himself watching these crazy movies? Watching these crazy movies. <laughs> um, and so, and like on his laptop. So like he's clearly brought this movie yeah. <laughs> to the plane. Um, and so I tend to load my laptop up with movies from like the 30s, 40s and 50s. And so 
I had a bunch, but again, like I, I fell asleep. So I only watched one. Um, but the Robin Hood movie is fantastic. Like I, it's so cheesy and so corny, but it's also kind of the best version of Robin Hood that I've seen. Um, and like, I'm a big fan of the Kevin Costner one, like that kind of raised us in some respects. Yeah. Um, so that was going over coming back. I put in, I put in a shift coming back. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw three movies, um, on, on the way back. And so the first one that I watched was the town, the Ben Affleck crime movie, Yep. which I'm going to look into the dates on that one. Like we may be able to cover. Oh yeah. I, here. I think so I've seen it before. So I don't, yeah, I don't want to say too, too much about it. It's fantastic. The movie fucking rips. Uh, so I watched that and then I sort of was like, well, I need to do something a little bit different. And so I found the Incredibles too. Well done. And so I watched the Incredibles, Incredibles too. And I gotta say, like, I like the first one. I like the second one. <laughs> like, I just like these characters. I like this world. Um, there were certain things that Brad Bird does with action where it's like, it's always escalating. It's always getting bigger. It's always getting more intense. So they're sort of like within the scene. That I just, I love. Like, he he did one of my favorite Mission Impossible movies. Um, you know, so, like, yeah, like, Incredibles and Incredibles 2. Pretty great. Pretty yeah. great Pixar movies. And then the last movie that I watched was Minority Report by Steven Spielberg. And I watched it mostly because I was like, I don't think I'm going to have enough time to finish it. So I want to watch something that I've seen a few times already. It doesn't really matter if I finish it or not. And uh, so I put on Minority Report and within 20 minutes, I was like, I think this is a top five Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah. I think this is one of his last great masterpiece works. Uh, Tom Cruise is great. Colin Farrell fucking crushes it. (laughs) He has numerous scenes face-to-face with Cruise, numerous scenes face-to-face with Max von Sydow, and he just owns the screen. So like... We're going to have to do Minority Report. Okay. That's a 2002 movie, I think, 2003. So we're definitely doing Minority Report eventually sometime. Because I, I was watching this being like, oh, this is phenomenal. I don't I don't think I've seen it. I Once again, I've probably heard talks about it and things like that. And it's come up in conversations. But right now, I don't know if I've actually seen it. So I'm interested. It's a good, it's a good sci-fi movie. And like Tom Cruise is... Fucking you love Tom Cruise, Cruise though. Tom you Cruise. like Tom Cruise can do no wrong for you these days. Yeah, like outside of his personal life, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, you know, movie, I mean, in the movie, movie world, movie yes. Wise, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this guy is like he's got my money. He's got it already. So, but yeah, we'll just separate the Scientology thing. Yeah. We don't need to get into all that. Yeah. But uh, we are here today to do the movie swap, and so for anyone who hasn't didn't listen to the previous episode that we talked about it or doesn't know what a movie swap is. Uh, basically works the same way that we're doing most of these episodes. They had to be movies within the two thousands. I gave you a movie that you had never seen. You ended up giving me a movie that I had never seen. And, uh, we're just going to talk about both of them. It sort of worked out well that they were movies that we hadn't seen before. Yep. And so, you know, I think, Maybe they'll be fresh and new. I think going back and watching watching my movie, especially, was sort of like, oh, okay, like I don't totally remember all of this. <laughs> um, but I think I think the thing that when we were discussing this and we were coming up with this idea or, or trying to decide if we were going to do it or not was that both of these movies 
although we could do episodes on them, we probably wouldn't have done episodes on them. Yeah, like, I don't think I would have convinced you to do a whole episode on my movie. I just, like, I don't <laughs> so. think that either of them, we, we have sort of a very loose criteria of movies we want to talk about on the podcast, and I don't think either of them sort of neatly fit into those criteria. Like, even though they were both big for the people that were starring in them, they're not they're not the first movies if i was to say daniel Uh, craig that the layer cake your movie is not not the first one to jump into that and so i think this this movie swap format just gives us an a a chance to talk about two movies that maybe we wouldn't have got to talk about so and i uh, think kind of encompass both me and you they're very different (laughs) they're on the opposite ends of this movie spectrum again so (laughs) yeah then yeah (laughs) sort of can't really get two movies far enough away from each other or whatever and like really the only thing they've got in common is that they're both set in england yes pretty much it it. so uh with that out of the way i think we're we're gonna jump into my movie for you which was layer cake yep and that came out or the friday we could have gone and rented that would have been August 26th, 2005. And so, Kate, can you give us a plot synopsis of Layer Cake? Okay, so Layer Cake follows Daniel Craig. And I have to refer to him as Daniel Craig in the synopsis because he has no name in the movie. I think in the IMDb and everything like that, he's just XXX. So Daniel Craig is a cocaine dealer. Middleman, cocaine man, yeah, drug like, man. He's a he's a drug dealer of sorts. Sorts. Yeah. Um, and so he's kind of like I said, the middleman. He has people who work for him, but he kind of follows and um, works for somebody else. Chaos ensues at some point, and I'm trying to kind of remember all the details here now. <laughs> that that point is within the first five minutes. Yeah. Of the movie. <laughs> um. Drugs are stolen from somebody else in, I think it was Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, and then Daniel Craig kind of gets put in charge of moving those drugs on and not letting the cops get in on this, like the action and stuff like that. And then a girl is kidnapped and he has to find her. And like, it's just, <laughs> there was a lot of story. <laughs> so it's been a couple weeks since I watched it. So I'm trying to remember all the details, but I'm sure as we talk things will start to come up in my mind I'll, again. I'll help you out here. I'll help you out. <laughs> and you remember this because I've got to do Young Victorian yeah. after this. And yeah, nothing is in there. So yes, Daniel Craig is this like sort of middleman in a, like a drug organization where um, he is like, he cuts it all down and he packages it all up. And But he's basically somebody that, um, he doesn't want to meet the clients that buy the drugs, but he's also stopping anybody from meeting like the higher up person that he, you know, pays reports for, to. Yeah, yeah, that pays for the operation. The story, which is like quite chaotic at times, is basically yes, there are a handful of ecstasy pills. A handful, I say. I think it's about a million pills. Yeah, stolen from Amsterdam by a sort of like run and gun crew um and so they bring those pills to london and want to sell them to daniel craig's character daniel craig's boss hires him to find the daughter of a sort of 
He says a friend. We eventually find out that he's like a business rival. And we find out that he wants Daniel Craig to find the daughter because he wants to then sort of like hold her for ransom over this business rival. And then there are just like a number of other storylines about like Daniel Craig is on his way out of the business and things obviously go right. That's a tried and true cliche. If anyone in the first 10 minutes says like, I've got a week left or I've only got to make one more deal and then I'm out. Like that's never happening. Yeah. (laughs) So all these things sort of, all these storylines sort of collide and come together and weave in and out of each other. And, you know, one influences the other and so on and so on and so on and so on. And um, we, we talked about when, when I gave you uh, layer cake, we had talked a little bit about the fact that, Matthew Vaughn, the guy who wrote and directed this movie, is really good friends with and has worked in the past with Guy Ritchie. And I think that's one of the, that's obviously one of the influences that you can see on the movie. And so did it remind you of some of those Guy Ritchie movies that you had seen in the past? A little bit. I'm, I think the Guy Ritchie ones always kind of stick out to me as chaotic is the word that's kind of coming into my head right now. I don't know if that's the best description of them, but it's, Lots of little stories, like you said, that kind of weave together little, like something happens over here and then that affects over there. Um, And so those are the ones that are kind of sticking into my head right now. So yeah, I can kind of see that influence. We also kind of also talked about how this was the movie that got Daniel Craig. Oh, yeah. The we'll, James Bond. We'll, we'll oh, come back to okay. that. We'll come I've, back I've to jumped, that. I've jumped yeah. the line here. Yeah. I think <laughs> the, the, the thing I want to say about Guy Ritchie in particular is... I think the Guy Ritchie movies, the best Guy Ritchie movies, always center around like one item. And so there might be about 20 characters in the movie, but they're all more or less chasing one, one item. Thing. Yeah. One thing. They all want the same one thing. And so, you know, in Lockstock, it's the two guns. In Snatch, it's the big diamond. And I think if Lair Cake had sort of maybe just stuck with the ecstasy pills. Yeah. Or missing daughter like that would have maybe anchored the movie a little bit more but by having so many things going on where our main character is like in more or less three different movies all at the same time um it it does the the chaoticness of it is maybe a little bit like harder to grasp and harder to understand whereas the chaoticness in a guy Ritchie movie is kind of like that's the feature of that's why you go to watch it because you're like this is wild and this is crazy. Whereas in layer cake, sometimes it's a little bit like this is confusing. So I think re- I haven't watched it in years and rewatching it this time. I was like, Oh, I wonder how she's going to process all of these different storylines. Pretty well. I think at the time I enjoyed it. Um, there were some like little details that I got a little confused on. And so I was kind of glad I was watching it with Chris and like our mom and stuff. Cause more so Chris than mom was able to help like reiterate some of the ideas or things like that. So there's like a storyline about Jimmy who uh, Daniel Craig, I think works for. Yeah. Jimmy's the big boss is the big boss. So Jimmy helps buy an African government and then loses the money. And that part got like a little muddled for me. Um, And so Chris was able to explain that one to me, which then kind of made a little bit more sense of the whole movie, but yeah. I think, yeah, like 
I don't want to not give Matthew Vaughn his credit here because like he's obviously gone on to have a big career. He's gone on to do the Kingsman movies and yeah. Yes, like, I can see the you can the see link. The, yeah, now you can between see the through those. Line, okay. I think, yeah. But by all of his movies, he did the kick ass movies. Like all of his movies tend to start off with like the first two acts. Like Lair Cake is a British crime movie. Yeah. We've seen a hundred of them before. He starts off his movie by being like, you think this is what it's going to be. I'm going to do something a little bit different. And then the third act tends to be like, okay, this is what you were here for in the first place. I'm just going to give it to you now. Yeah. All of his movies tend to be more or less like that. Um, but I, so like, even though I might have a little bit of an issue with the way that some of the movie is written and maybe sort of overly written, I think I you can't deny like the direction of the movie and how slick everything looks. And so I just want like, were you picking up on any shots or any scenes where you're just like, that was cool? Yeah. So I actually made note of a couple of them. The very first shot sticks in my head still and I can totally remember it. That it's all of the drugs. So it's cocaine, it's ecstasy, it's whatever. And then all of a sudden it just morphs into toothpaste and like sunscreen. He's he's at like a drugstore. And he's at a drugstore and he kind of sees the drugs in the products yeah. almost. Yeah. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Um, we actually, something had happened and we had to restart the movie or whatever. And like, I enjoyed it the second time, even though I had just seen it two minutes earlier, it was great to watch it again. And then he just had some like really cool transition shots as well. So I, um, I think one is he focuses on somebody's eyes and then it pans back out and it's somebody else's face or yeah. the lighter goes down on the table and then something up, something else and a different scene is picked up from a table like those i tend to pick up on the like really cool looking transitions yeah. scenes well like the person's eyes that you were referring to is daniel craig's eyes <laughs> yeah so we can move on to daniel craig and like you said it is a bit this was a bit of an audition tape for bond and you know the the story goes that he made this movie and the broccoli family who own the Bond franchise saw this movie and were like, get us that guy. That, that's yeah. our guy. And so like, could you see that? He's not, he's not playing, he's playing a suave character here, but he's not suave in the same way that Bond is. And so could you see a like, oh yeah, it makes sense that they would go after this guy? Yeah. There's one scene where somebody gives him a gun. Um, I'm blanking on who gives him the gun now. Kalmini's character? Yeah. yeah. Um, he gives him the gun and he kind of, holds it up in the, the typical gun, I've got yeah. a gun pose. Yeah. And he like shoots around a corner and like holds it out. And I was like, okay, yeah, like there's there's the Bond character kind of jumping out. Um, and he's kind of, he's got a bit of a way with the lady, the only, one of the only two ladies really in the whole movie. Um, but yeah, he, it's interesting to see him do this and then go into, like you said, like the more sophisticated, more suave, more like sneaky 007 kind of character um and then him now playing in the glass onion movies yeah. kind of doing that but like a little bit different again well that's that's more like comedic <laughs> yeah you know i mean like he's still kind of suave and polished but now he's like finding the comedy in it yeah yeah so like it's fun to kind of see and He's done movies in between and things like that, I'm guessing. But it's fun to see the tie between these three movies and kind of how he's morphed the character, even though they're totally different and done by different people. 
you can see kind of Daniel Craig through it. I think that <laughs> one of the things too I love about his character is that he tells us from the very beginning and now the movie sometimes the movie follows this rule and sometimes the movie does not follow this rule because that's what the movie is but he tells us right from the very beginning that like he is like a low stakes drug dealer like he's not out there to make millions and millions of dollars he's not out there to like own you know be flashy and own fast cars and all this sort of shit he's like i'm out there to make a living like I want to make a comfortable living. I want to save some money so that I can leave and go have fun somewhere else. But like, he doesn't have a big house. He doesn't have a flashy nope. car. He doesn't really wear, he wears nice clothes, but he doesn't wear nice clothes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I think it's just a nice and refreshing sort of take on a character that we've seen many, many, many times before. And like, he sells that. Like I totally yeah. buy that. He would just be less like, He's a pretty good looking guy in London. He says that he has a, uh, one of his business fronts is like a real estate agent. And you'd sort of be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like his money probably comes from that. Yeah. And then it's like, no, really upstairs though. He's cutting bricks of cocaine. So yeah. <laughs> like, that's what's really going on here. But I, I just, I, I really like that sort of the lower stakes on it. Cause I find sometimes in movies when it's like, you know, a billion dollars or whatever, it's like, that's so I can't fathom yeah. how much that actually is. And so it's sort of like, that's kind of meaningless. It's like when somebody's like, I'm going to take over the world. It's sort of like, oh, okay, like I sure go for it. <laughs> but like when, when somebody else, like I've watched movies where they're just like the, the thing was like take over a town or a city. And you're like, that's terrifying because like that could happen. That like, is possible. That, I can yeah. totally see that happening. Um, and so like where, when he comes in here and he's just like, yeah, I just want to make a little bit of money. I want to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm good at this and there's money to be made, but like, I'm not in it for riches or fame or anything. And sort of like, oh, this is cool. This is interesting. Yeah. So am I correct in saying though, that this is based on a book? It is based on a book. Have yeah. you read the book? I have not read the book. Okay. I don't know how popular the book is. So I like oh, okay. never, it's like never come across anything. I've, I've, I've gone into <laughs> a lot of bookstores, especially over the last year or two. And like, nothing like okay literally seen it nowhere and i read a lot of crime novels yeah <laughs> nothing so I, I i do wonder if it was one of those books where like maybe like there was a bit of buzz before it even got published and they're like oh let's make it a movie and you know the movie just became more popular than the book did and so now when you say layer cake people think of the movie but would you be interested in reading the book though? Like if you did find it in say a secondhand shop and it wasn't too expensive, like would you pick it up and read it? Or is it kind of like, no, I'm happy with the movie. Let's leave it as movie. Um, it's tough to say really. Like, I guess, I guess I'd, I'd definitely be intrigued. Like just because I've seen the movie now a few times before I would have read the book. Like that doesn't necessarily mean anything to me. I've read other books where I've watched the movies 10 times before that. Um, I, there are parts in this movie, and maybe we can get to it in a, in a minute or two, where it's sort of like, I wonder how they do that in the book. But yeah, we can we can save that for, for the end, because it's the end of the movie. Okay, yeah, I have so, a note on that too. So. <laughs> the, uh, one, one of the things that I truly love about this movie is just like the whole opening scene. Or we're kind of going backwards now, but the whole opening scene of the movie, we get his voiceover, we see sort of his world, he walks us through you know, how he does business, who he does business with, sort of his rules for success. 
and all that sort of stuff. We we do see the the sort of run and gun crew in in Amsterdam, and that that's a bit. It's I don't want to say messy, but like it's a little sort of like oh like this was one type of thing over here, and now you're yeah. introducing something else um, that maybe could have been done a little bit better. Um, but the 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 capper of the opening scene is the she sells sanctuary needle drop by the cult, and like had do you have any memory of me and dad playing this song repeatedly in the car on car rides anything like that because if you have not listened to she sells sanctuaries by the by the cult it has one of the all-time like five seconds into the song the the like beat kicks in and you're just like fuck here we go i don't think so go back and watch the opening scene okay go back and watch the opening scene (laughs) It's when the car is going across the road, like on the golf course to, to the big house, to the meeting. Okay. And it, it, it's an unbelievable needle drop. It's maybe one of my favorite needle drops in any movie ever. And it's not, it's like, the song's not even that good, but it's just like that first, like 10 seconds of the song. And then the way that it's used in this movie, I was just like, this is incredible. Just incredible. This is so, so well done. I think that's one thing that maybe going forward as me as a watcher, you tend to pick up on the music a lot and you kind of key in or click in or whatever the phrase is to the music and how it kind of plays into the story. Whereas I tend not to listen to it. I think I either I mean, tune it out or out like... You're so much. You're missing out on so much. <laughs> My next note here is about another needle drop. So. so like, I don't know, but I don't know how as a watcher, maybe it's just me being like, I've got to kind of pay attention to the music as well and, like, what is that doing? Um, so, yeah, maybe that'll be my next kind of going forward. Take some notes. So. My, ne- my next thing here is <laughs> The Ordinary World by Duran Duran Needle Drop as Monty beats the shit out of the guy in the diner. Like, again, this movie has two, <laughs> two great needle drops. This, this song, the, the reason this one sticks out is because this song does tend to come on on the radio at work, like, sort of once every couple days. And I cannot listen to the song without thinking of this, uh, this, the, scene? this scene where Monty like pours coffee on the yes. guy. So and, like I remember yeah. the scene, yeah. but yeah, I wouldn't have remembered the music oh, in the man. scene. But I remember that scene. It was a little tough to watch a little bit. So I, I love I love Morty. Do you, any any favorite characters? Anyone that sort of stuck out? Well, so like the cast watching it through every time. It, a new character came on screen you're like oh my god they're in it too like it's, it's kind of another one of those movies where it's like oh that per- okay it's kind of like, a who's who of british yeah. actors in this yeah um so i love tom hardy uh i'm a it's a very this is a very early role it's a small role for yeah him, but, but yeah. like i love him because you can kind of see him and you can kind of see the start of him being this kind of action guy yeah. as well yeah yeah um so he was great um, the thing I have a hard time with sometimes is, so Michael Gambon, yeah. isn't it? I can't hear him without hearing Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Yeah. So like, it's really hard for me when he appears in other movies. Cause he's done it in, what was our, he was in another one recently that we watched. Did, wasn't he or no? Uh, well he was in one from new favorite movie. He was in, um, Gosford Park? Gosford Park yeah. from New Fair Movie. Um, and so... He plays a bastard in both of those yes, movies. Yes, he does. <laughs> He's a real asshole in both of these movies. So, like, it's really hard 
for me to hear his voice and not think of the very sweet Dumbledore. Um, but yeah, so Tom Hardy's probably up there. And uh, once again, I'm always a fan for whoever the main person is. So Daniel Craig was great as well. Well, it's, it's a star making role yeah. for Daniel Craig. Like it's a good character. He looks good in the role. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the movie is shot to make him a superstar in it and it worked. Yeah. Um, Any favorites for you? Well, I think like the the Morty, his sort of like head of security. I I just love Morty, and again, he's a, that's a Harry Potter alumni too, isn't he? That's a um, Kingsley, George Harris. No, 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 no. That's who plays Morty. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Is he not in Harry Potter as well? Yes, he is. Yes. Yes, he is. I find that sometimes with British movies, because like we've just said, it's kind of the who's who of British actors. They all just kind of tend to repeat in movies sometimes. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> so. so I, I do. I, I like his character because his character is this kind of like no nonsense security guy. But then like we get that scene where he beats the shit out of yeah. a, a former associate. <laughs> and then he, he, he gets that. They go outside and Daniel Craig is like, what the fuck? And he's like, I'm going to lay low for a minute. And yeah. he just like runs away. And you're like, that's kind of hilarious. Um, so I love I love him. Um, but then Ben Ben Wishaw. As the like coked out, yeah, <laughs> sort of loser of this other gang selling ecstasy pills, you're just like, yeah, that guy's one day gonna be Paddington. Like that is that's him. Oh, right is there. that who Paddington that's is? That's him right uh, there. That's okay. Ben, ben Wishaw. And again, like he would end up in the Bond movies. He's he's the new Q. So oh, okay, yeah, like they all sort of. You know, and Sally Hawkins, because I'm pull- looking up the cast right now. She she's kind of unrecognizable though. Yeah, it must have been about halfway through the movie i would say and mom kind of turned and she's like that's sally hawkins like yeah, yeah. totally didn't yeah didn't place her at the start so she's she's pretty unrecognizable here and, and certainly not a character that she would ever play again, again really <laughs> yeah um and then i i'd be remiss i i did say that they were all british actors but Colin meany he's an irish actor he was in the commitments he's in all of those sort of Barrytown uh movies the van and the snapper and all that sort of stuff and you know, I, I, I love Colm Meany. So, yeah, it's like, it's a pretty surprisingly great cast because it catches a lot of these actors before they were really famous. So, like, we haven't mentioned Sienna Miller yet, mostly because her character just kind of doesn't exist. Like, yeah. the, the movie gives her nothing to do except stand beside Daniel Craig and look beautiful. Pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, but again, like, she's in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, all these yeah. people were, like, in five years are some of the biggest actors working and you know this movie got them all just before that moment uh the last thing i sort of want to talk about and i think we need to talk about is the ending of the movie and so major spoilers here for yeah anyone who has not seen layer cake major major spoilers pause now if we've intrigued you enough and you want to watch before we talk about this absolutely (laughs) absolutely because the question i gotta ask is does he die in the end oh so okay I think he does. My question to you was, I found out that there were two endings. So there's an ending in this one that I watched where he does get shot. But then there's like a happily ever after one where him and Sienna Miller do just get to ride off together. Um, so yeah, I think he does die in this one because I think they're happily ever after, happily ever after one, the alternate ending, is them where he lives. So... I think he definitely dies. Yeah. And it strikes me as like the movie for all the sort of death 
and carnage that does happen throughout the movie. And like the movie's not like happy go lucky. No. <laughs> but at the same time, it has this sort of like tone of like nothing's that serious throughout the movie. And so then to end the movie with our main character seemingly coming out ahead, seemingly being like, yeah, you know, I, I dodged death from one guy and I sold the pills and I, you know, did all yeah. this and did all that. And I got the girl. I got I'm the kinda, girl. I'm the head man now. And... But, but crucially, he's like, yes, I am the head guy, but I'm still leaving. I'm yeah. still getting out because that's what I promised myself. I promised myself, you know, I'd get X number of dollars and I've hit that goal. So I'm leaving. Yeah. And so for the movie then to be like, psych, psych, <laughs> you're just getting fucking shot here by a jealous ex-boyfriend. You're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what, what the hell? And so it's like a very depressing note to end the movie on. But yeah, I, I think he, I think he's dead. I definitely think he dies when he walks out of the house and he... I don't think you see the boyfriend first, right? Like, I no, think he you comes just, out of nowhere, yeah. He, yeah, I think you just see Daniel Craig get shot. And then the crazy guy comes out. I was sitting there being like, what? What like, happened here? Wh I, what? <laughs> um, but that being said, the alternate ending, which I think is the one that Sony, as my note says, Sony wanted the happily ever after one. I don't think I would have enjoyed no, that. No, that sucks. That ending sucks. I, I can see that ending. Yeah, that like, sucks. I can see, like you said, I can see it. And for the tone of the movie and all of that, not that I want him to die, but I think he needs to get shot. He kind of was getting, like, not off scot-free, but, like, he was kind of getting away with shit. He does murder people. So, like... like... <laughs> straight up does murder people throughout this movie. So, like, if you're looking for some retribution, yeah. like... There, there is some. I think the the other part of the ending that I always sort of find like, man, that is a bit of a downer note, is the reveal in Amsterdam. So the movie opens with this this um, flower warehouse that's yeah. actually a front for drug dealers being robbed of a million ecstasy pills, and the whole sort of movie sort of goes off of these pills, you know, and. In the end, we go back to the warehouse in Amsterdam and they open up a door and, you know, they're sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, this person's dead and that person's dead. And, you know, we didn't get the pills back, but whatever, whatever, you know, what I mean, like that case closed or whatever. And then they open a door and you just see like millions and millions and millions of ecstasy pills in there. And you're like, oh, none of this mattered. Yeah. Like the, this million ecstasy pills, which is like, you know caused so much death and carnage throughout this movie it didn't was matter just at like all. a drop in a bucket yeah just drop in a bucket <laughs> didn't matter at all and you're just like god that is a rough way to end your movie but like it's obviously what he wanted so. yeah any last things to say about layer cake no i think this was a good recommendation i'm glad i got to watch it so yeah solid solid pick uh from from you i think all right well if that's the yeah. end of end of my half of the movie spot we can move right on to yours and so take it away what are we doing here okay so the one i gave to you was the young victoria which is totally on brand for anybody who knows me and knows i love anything royal um so the release date the friday night that we could have gone to rent this would have been april 23rd 2010 so i think once we picked it 
we then looked at the dates and we're like, uh, like our loose guidelines. We'll allow it. We'll are allow allowing it, it yeah. because we've already now talked about it. I think the, it. the movie probably, the movie came out in 2009, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll, you know, maybe, maybe going forward, we'll, we'll figure out an actual cutoff date, but for, for the purpose of this, because I had never seen this movie either. So and so that was yeah. the biggest thing, yeah. finding a movie that you had never seen. Yeah. That was of interest to me and would have been a pick for me was a bit of a challenge. There wasn't many, I think, to go from, but this was kind of the top of my list. So, Kieran, what's our synopsis? Okay, so we meet the young Victoria, played by Emily Blunt, and she is living with her mother, and her mother's sort of like husband slash advisor slash whatever. I don't really know what the relationship there was. Advisor, yeah. Advisor, yeah. but there was Not husband, but advisor. There's something, there was a relationship going on there, but... <laughs> They're living together and it's, I think, is it like widely known that she's more or less in line for the throne at this point? Yes. Like she, everyone else has died. Everyone else, you know, yeah, and so the king has nobody left except her. Yeah. So a bit of like the little history and they kind of really quickly touch on it. Her dad died um, and he was one of three brothers, one of which is the king. The three brothers had no children between them. So yes, she would be, after the so, okay. king dies, she is next in so, line. So yeah, they know she's in line for the throne. And so her mother's advisor is kind of like overly protective slash like... Wants the power. Wants the power that she is eventually going to inherit. And so he makes himself, uh, played by Mark Strong, like played pretty well by Mark Strong, yeah. actually. I, I don't remember the character's name, but... John, uh, John, Sir John Conway. Sure. Conroy, Conroy. Sure. Mark Strong. Sure. Um, so that's where we meet the young Victoria. And so then there's obviously sort of like political things because people know who she is and they know what she's eventually going to inherit. And so one of the storylines then is like cousins or some sort of relations yep. who are the like royal family in Belgium. Yep. They. Their dad. Their dad or whatever it goes to one of his kids and he's like, listen, you know, study up on her, find out all the things that she likes. Uh, and then get over there and impress her and marry her. And then we can actually have the power of, of England and all that sort of shit. And yeah. so he, so I think, um, what's his name? What's the, the character's Prince? name? Yeah. Albert. Prince Albert. Albert. Yep. Yeah. I think Albert, like, at least in the movie, like seems game for that at first. He's sort of like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll do whatever I need to do. And then, and then he goes over and he meets her and he falls in love with her. And he's very quickly like, oh fuck, I actually... Really, really like, like her. her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so she kind of falls in love with him a little bit as well. But she is pretty aware of the fact that like as soon as she marries anybody, she loses everything because then it's a king and not a queen. And so she's pretty apprehensive, pretty protective of herself. But they have some sort of correspondence and they go back and forth over a couple of years. She eventually takes power and immediately like cuts out her mom, cuts out the advisor, cuts out everybody who sort of she was picking up on was like, they're going to kind of use me. Yeah. She does put in place um, Paul Bettany's character. I don't know anybody's name, but Paul Bettany's character. <laughs> Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. Who like, I was a bit iffy on the whole movie. It's like, is he really out for her best interests or not? I don't really know what's going on here. Uh, maybe we can get into a history corner later. But, yeah. Um, she puts him into, into some sort of power as well as like a, as an advisor role. They're all advisors. Um, she then cannot deny her 
passions and her desires and her love for Albert. And so she brings him over, but she sort of lays down the law that like, listen, I want this. And I know you want this too, but like, it needs to be on certain terms where she can keep all the power. And he loves her so much that he agrees to it. And so this sort of like last 30, 40 minutes of the movie is like them figuring out their marriage within this world where like she is the queen and she has ultimate power and he is running the house but like how does he not overstep his bounds and how does she not sort of influence things that she's given him the right to go and and run and uh they have a very lovely marriage they do and the movie ends uh, yep so yep pretty much so some things melbourne is actually prime minister (laughs) Yes, um, so yes he... I did know that. I did know that, actually. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so he is uh, prime minister at various points. I think he becomes prime minister twice for her. Um, but yeah, so she does kind of take him in as a bit of an advisory role, but he is the prime minister, which for me, like, historically is accurate, is a little weird. Like, imagine, like, Justin Trudeau being our prime minister and, like, being the advisor to somebody else who is actually the head of our country, like... Is a little weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, my first question for you though was this like, were you actively skipping this movie? Did you just not have any interest in it? Like, why did it take you so long over, to actually watch this? Over a decade? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was actively well, skipping not it. watching it. Okay. So, yeah, like, when you break down, like, I love Paul Bettany, I think he's a great actor. Emily Blunt has been like fantastic in basically everything I've ever seen her in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a handful of other actors in here. Like Mark Strong shows up in a lot of stuff that I really enjoy, but it was 100% because it's a movie about the Royal family. Like I just do not give a shit. So I was like actively like I'd heard for years that this is actually a pretty good movie. Yeah. And I was just like, Nope, like zero interest. Never, ever, ever going to watch this until I, said to you, hey, let's do a movie swap where you pick a movie for me. <laughs> and then I was fucked. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was directed by Jean-Marc... Valet. Valet. Yeah, Canadian. Yeah, saw that. Um, what did you like about his style? Because then after this, I saw you very quickly went and watched Wild, yeah. which is another one of his. Yeah. yeah. So I think I may have enjoyed Wild a little bit more, but um, that sort of, that doesn't really matter. Um, I think the thing about his style and um, anyone who's watched um, what were the what were the miniseries that he did? Did he do? I think he did the first. Did he do the first season of Big Little Lies? Yes. And and then he did um, then he did Sharp Objects with Amy Adams as well. Yeah. And I think the thing that I've responded to in his direction is that. Um, like everything looks quite lavish, but like there's still like a there's a lot of life and a lot of movement in everything. And so like one of the things with young Victoria that like I could not help but sort of compare is like I've seen other royal family movies. movies. I've seen other sort of like you know, you sort of can't help but compare them to some of the like like a Jane Austen adaptation or, you know, things like that that we've all other seen. Other kind of period. Yeah, that we've things. all we've all yeah. seen before. And I think for the most part, I find a lot of those things like very like stiff and very mannered uh, because of like, you know, of the times and that's the behavior and all this sort of stuff. Whereas he sort of like 
did away with all of that and like it's very energetic the way that he edits the his movies are like they're quick but they still show you enough of what's going on like it's not chaotic it's not frantic but it's still like there's a pace there's a quick pace there, to there's it. a quick yeah. pace to it but at the same time like uh, we we recently talked about Sofia Coppola and and her Marie Antoinette movie like her Marie Antoinette movie was a very um it was a very deliberate thing of being like I'm going to take this old 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 story this old period piece and modernize it so that you know it's basically like a young teenage girl from the 90s you know what I mean like that's yeah. how she's going to tell this story He's not doing that, but at the same time, he's not doing the, like, stately, boring, stiff thing that we've seen many, many, many times before. And so there was, yeah, like, when I watched this, and I did quite, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. And I'm so con- I'm converting him, everybody. I'm converting him. No, no, no. It's a, it's a one and done thing. But um, that was why I then immediately was like, let me go find this wild movie that I've heard even more people talk about and even more people say is really, really good. And I put that on and I was just like, the, the, maybe I like this guy. Maybe I like this John Mark Bellet So guy. was wild also like an act of skipping though? Or was um, it just... It wasn't a... That wasn't an act of skipping the same way that Young Victoria was. That was more just a like... You never kind of were in the mood for it. I don't or... think I'm in the mood to watch Reese Witherspoon walk a thousand miles. Okay. Um, but but because I responded so well to this movie, it was then a like... It, I have to go check it out. It doesn't matter what this movie is. I'm going to check it out because okay. I like this valet director. Yeah. Um, which is like interesting because... I really liked the first season of Big Little Lies, but I really did not like Sharp Objects. Or is it Sharp Objects? Yeah. Yeah. Sharp I really did not like that at all. And so I, that was my sort of lasting memory of him. Um, and More I, the two miniseries. And I, yeah. There was, there was other things like he did the Dallas Buyers Club. Yep. Didn't really love that movie. Um, and so like in my in my memory of the things that he has done. And, you know, we should say that he's unfortunately passed away there a couple of years ago. Uh, but in my memory of the things that he'd done, like they weren't necessarily positive. And so then to have a really positive thing with young Victoria, a really positive experience. I was then immediately like, let me see if I can get that again with wild and like wild's great. Wild it was great, great movie. Um, so one of your criticisms, which now listening to you talk, your criticism on letterbox was that it was a bit rushed or things that like weren't totally explored. You're now kind of not saying that on the podcast anymore. <laughs> um, well, I think I think <laughs> I think rushed in terms of like there's just a lot of history. Okay. That I was sort of like I don't really know what's going on. So you would have just liked the history. Yeah, like, like the establishing I guess, I, her a bit a bit slower. I guess or? it's I guess it's like hard to praise him for being sort of like yeah don't do the stiff boring thing that I've seen a hundred times. But also I need to know who everybody is. Yeah. So like, you know, it's a little bit hard to walk that balance. And like, I think for the most part, he like the, he does a good job in the movie, does a good job of continually coming back to like, this is a movie about Emily her. Blunt as Victoria yep. and, you know, more or less her relationship with Albert, although that does come and go at times. But there were, there were things where like Melbourne has a scandal and gets voted out. And I was sort of like, what? Like. Where did the hell did that come from? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have any reference points of who Melbourne was or what he was doing or, you know what I mean? And that's why I was, I'm still a little bit questioning and confused about like, 
did he want to use Victoria to gain more power or was he actually looking out for her and her best interests? Like, I still don't actually know what he was up to. Yeah, I would probably say it was the first um, because, like, if you're the prime minister, you want the queen on your side. Right. So that's why he gets, um, I can't now remember what side, what political party he was in, but that's why he gets women that would be on his side to be her ladies-in-waiting. And when he gets voted out the first time and the other party becomes the power in government, they're kind of being like, well, all of your ladies-in-waiting were on Melbourne's side. We kind of want some ladies on our side so that they're in your ear talking to you about our causes and things like that, right? So, like, the thing that I enjoyed a lot, and part of it was probably the time that this was coming out, I was, like, kind of close to her age. Not that I could see myself in Victoria because, you know, I'm not going to be queen. But the whole coming of age, kind of figuring out your own path kind of resonated with me because for me, that's the biggest part of the movie. Her being queen, sure, but it's her finally getting out of her mom's rule, out of Conroy's rule, finally stepping into her own. At one point, I think she's talking to her aunt and everybody's kind of trying to force marriages on her and stuff. And she's like, well, why? I've just gotten out of the one prison underneath her mom. Why am I now going to go into a prison of marriage? Like, let me just be independent yeah. and free yeah. and stuff like that. We we so. will have to come back to the prison analogy in a minute. Um, but yet, no, okay, I, I hear you. So. Yeah, yeah, I hear you on, on that. I think the, the other thing um, that I think was m- maybe a little bit rushed, maybe it's not the type of story that they were trying to tell at all, but like in the early parts of the movie, we hear from a lot of people that she's like, because she is so overly protected, and isn't really allowed to go out with anybody. Isn't really she's not allowed to walk downstairs without somebody yep. else helping her. Yeah, it's, her. A, it's all Kensington yeah. system, which is historically yeah. accurate. Um, but I, I, we hear from people that she's like a bit naive, a bit sort of like unexperienced in the world because she's not allowed to go or do anything. There was a part of me that was sort of like, okay, cool. I'm going to see this sort of like growth, this arc of a character where she's eventually going to be queen and she's going to have her shit together. At, the end of the movie but I, I there was parts of it where i didn't feel like we got enough of the sort of young timid naive victoria where her then you know the the scene where she takes over and inherits the inherits the inherits the crown um she then like immediately enacts certain things and everyone's like whoa like where is this coming from but i was watching the movie being like well she's always kind of been like like why are you surprised so you would have liked them to make her, to have made her more naive, more kind of timid I, at I the start? Think, I think so. Or at least spend some more time well, while she is still not the queen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was just, there were parts of that where I was sort of like characters were reacting in certain ways to her. But I was like, but all we've seen from her is this sort of like strong woman. So like, why are you surprised that she's now still a strong woman? A strong woman? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she was saying things and doing things when Albert first comes visit and visits her when she's supposed to be this like young teenage girl, I think. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't really see the difference between that or the scene where she's sitting on the crown or sitting on the throne. Like, yeah, I'll say I, 
I can see your point. I think because after this, they then did a mini series, um, not with Emily Blunt or any of these characters. And I think that may have been the better course for so, this entire story. Yeah. So the mini series did a really good job um, because you just got to spend more time yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, and it is it is one of the like one of my biggest problems with so many movies about characters like this or in this time period where the, there's just so much history yeah. that how can you possibly do it in two hours and like i don't often advocate for television shows or miniseries but i there was a part of me being like i'm not going to but i do wonder if i had watched the miniseries would i be enjoying the miniseries even more yeah. than i am enjoying the movie yeah so the miniseries does a really good job like i said exploring because you get to spend more time with them for me, the thing that I had the hardest time with, and I still have a hard time with it, I don't see a physical transformation in Emily Blunt yeah. through it all. Yeah. yeah. So, like, in the miniseries... Um, Jenna Coleman? Yes, thank you. Physically, in the first season, when she's supposed to be 17, 18, whatever age she is, they make her look younger. They yeah. do kind of a younger hairstyle, like, her clothes and things like that. And as she gets older and she starts to become more of a woman and gets married and has kids and stuff... Physically, the way that they dress her and her hair and all of that, they are able to change it. So you feel like she is getting older. Yeah. Um, every time I watch this, I'm just kind of like, I know Emily Blunt at the start is supposed to be, I think, about 16 or 17 because they think the king's going to die and she's sick. So that's why they try to force her to sign uh, regency yes. papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because she would be underage. But I still think of her as the... 25 year old that she kind of ends the movie and, as yeah, yeah. Um, i can see that so like yeah, yeah. that's one of very few flaws that i see in this movie it's still one of my favorites so because there was a ton of history did you just expect the movie to present everything to you or do you pause the movie and if you're confused by somebody do you do research or um, are you expecting the movie to just give you everything? Yeah, I try not to. I try not to do any research. I try to just, like, take the movie as the movie's coming, which was, like, sometimes works, like we were saying at the top with the Boston Strangler, where I was just like, what, what the fuck's going on? Like, yeah, I don't know any of this story. And then you, I spend hours reading about the Boston Strangler <laughs> after the movie ends. Um a little right. light reading before you yeah, went to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was up to about two or three in the morning just reading about murders in Boston. But um, yeah, like I try not to sit on my laptop or sit on my phone and sort of be like, wait, who is that? And what are they? And who are, you know what I mean? Like, because like you also can't help but eventually learn like Melbourne was supposed to be like 40 years older in yeah. real life than he was in this movie. Yeah, they but made him too, like, they made him, they make him too young. In they this make movie. him too young and. But, like, at the same time, it's sort of like, yeah, but if, if he was 70 or 80 years old, then it's not Paul Bettany. And I quite like Paul Bettany. So, like, yeah. I'd rather have the movie with Paul Bettany in it than not Paul Bettany in it. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, there are there are things like that. I know we are both big fans of the History Buffs YouTube guy. Yeah. And so I do really love going and checking out his videos on certain movies afterwards and just laughing at how bad some of them historically accurate movies actually are mm -hmm. um and so i do enjoy that and so like but that's just like a side thing, thing? that okay. i enjoy doing you know what I mean like just because the movie is historically accurate or inaccurate doesn't necessarily like 
make it better or worse, worse in for my you. opinion. Okay. Like I still take the movie as the movie. Um, but you know, there are certain movies where it's like, it's impressive that they get things so correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really sit on my laptop and read things as the movie's going. I just sort of, I want to take it as it's, and as it's presented. Whatever itself. information they choose to present yeah. you, you yeah. go with that. Okay. Speaking of kind of accuracy and things, this, I didn't realize until this watch who wrote this movie and it's Julian Fellows. Makes sense now, doesn't it? Makes so much sense. Yep. Julian, Julian Fellows did Downton Abbey, which is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Not one of Curon's, but that's okay. I, I, I can be honest here. I don't <laughs> think I've even watched 10 minutes of Downton Abbey. Oh, so okay. I honestly cannot can't, say, can't say anything one way or the other. I would say if you're not a fan of this, you're probably not really a fan of that either. But okay. that's okay. Okay. Um, but he did write Gosford Park. Yeah. Which we have covered yeah. in New Favorite Movie. And I, I love that movie. And you love that movie. Yeah. So why Gosford Park and not this? Compare them for me. I, like, I can't so, see why you love Gosford and you don't love this. Uh, well, Gosford Park has the murder mystery aspect to okay. it, which like I immediately respond to. Um, I would like hope, like just slow down there a minute. <laughs> I think I gave Young Victoria like a seven out of ten. That's pretty fucking good. Like, is that what you gave it? That's a lot better than I expected when you said I have to watch Young Victoria. I yes, I think you did give it higher than I was expecting. So like, let's so. slow down on the like. Why do you love one movie and not the other? I I in really love. Gosford. You gave it. A, you gave it a three and a half. Three and a half. I would say that's probably somewhere between six and a half and seven. Okay. Okay. Out of ten, like that's a that's a really good score. Okay. For this movie, which I was like, kind of being like, I'm gonna rip into this. Um, but yeah, like Gosford Park has a murder mystery thing. It has, like, that cast is fucking stacked with people. Yeah. Um, it's also a Robert Altman movie. I love Robert Altman. I uh, can't wait to watch more of his movies. So, that, like, there are just other things going for Gosford Park versus The Young Victoria. Like, you know, he wrote this and it was surprising how much I enjoyed it. But, like, I've watched Gosford Park, like, four or five times. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... We've just talked in Layer Cake about how I don't pick up on music. Yep. But I did make a note actually on this one. The assassination temp near the end of the movie, when they cut out the music, that I picked up on. And that every time gives me chills. Oh, so you, you notice a lack of music. <laughs> I notice the lack of music, I guess. But you don't but... notice when certain music is playing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that one gave me chills and like I can... Like, I can think of it and automatically I know the whole scene goes in my head. Was there any scenes that kind of stuck out to you? Any little stories that you enjoyed? Anything like that? Or um, not really? I don't know if I could pick out, like, individual scenes. There were a lot of stuff. So, I, I like, I really liked Emily Blunt's whole performance. Like, yeah. you know, whether or not that's how Victoria actually was or wasn't, that doesn't really matter. I thought Emily Blunt was, like, pretty fantastic throughout, which I assumed she would be. Um, Rupert Friend as Albert, I loved that, like, within seconds of him arriving, he was, like, a love-struck puppy. Like, yeah. <laughs> you mean, like, he he came in with this plan of, like, seducing her and, you know, getting her on his side and being like, you know, I'm going to 
use this woman all the way to the top. I'm going to sleep my way to the top. And then within minutes of meeting Emily Blunt, he was like, oh, fuck. I kind of love her now. And like, he was just like a love struck puppy, like the whole way through. But then towards the end of the movie where he gets to run like the house or whatever he's put in charge of, like, he also like takes no shit from anybody. No. And I was like, oh, that's a cool character. Like he is totally 100% devoted and committed to this woman. And like, making sure that she succeeds and what she needs to do. But like, he's not a fucking wallflower. Like no. he will not accept people walking over him just because, you know, he's not king. He's not king. Like yeah. that, he's not putting up with that. So I was like, that's cool. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Like the, the Paul Bettany, I didn't really understand his character, but again, like anytime he shows up in a movie, I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> um, so yeah, like the, I think there were like, just like characters and like those storylines where I was like, okay, like, Anytime Rupert Friend as Albert and Emily Blunt were together on screen, I was like, okay, this is cool. A good scene. This is interesting. Yeah. He does go away for a good, like, 30 minutes in yeah. the middle of the movie where I was sort of like, what the fuck's going on? Like, isn't he a bi- He's on the poster. Like, isn't he a big <laughs> deal in this thing? Like, where is he? Um, so, yeah, like, I, I think there's a, there's a few things like that. And, like, not that... I needed to be reminded of this, but I was reminded of the fact that like the reason we keep coming back to stories of the Royal family and stories of, you know, especially Victoria or Elizabeth, or I'm sure we'll have many, 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 many movies on the most recent Elizabeth. Yeah. um, Is the whole like political intrigue around being King or queen. And like, I get like, I understand that she has immense amounts of, power and pressure and you know with a flick of the wrist she can condemn lots of people to death or you know reward lots of people in life like i i understand that she gets it so like i get that that's why we keep coming back to these stories in these movies is because like they are pretty compelling so i i understand i just don't like them you just don't like i just don't like i just don't like these people so I don't want to spend any time with them. But I understand from like a storytelling standpoint, if like if you're trying to juxtapose our current climate from a former climate or anything like that, like history versus present or, you know, all this sort of stuff, I understand why you would go back to the royal family and sort of be like, you know, look at how things were. And like, is yeah. this, you know, they pushed things forward. I get it. I get it. I just don't like the people. So... You know, that goes to one of the last things that I have here. I don't know if you have any. I was about to ask, do you have any kind of questions, anything? The whole royal life as a prison thing. Get the (laughs) fuck out of here. Like, fuck right off with that. I get it that like, oh, it's so hard. And like all these people don't want her to succeed. Fuck off. Like your life is so privileged that like. Get I would, the fuck out of here with that. I would argue it's not that they don't want her to succeed. They want to use her. They want her to be a pawn. So the whole Kensington system that... I would happily be a pawn. <laughs> Fucking people walk her down the stairs. They so, walk her down the stairs. They, they get her up in the morning. They dress her. They feed her. She has immense amounts of wealth and homes and servants and luxury and it's like oh poor me like oh life is like a prison in this big fucking house of mine everybody answers to me i could you know 
I, I okay, maybe you can't go or do whatever you want yeah. to do, but <laughs> like, my God, have you ever stepped foot into an actual prison? Like, that's what I would like to ask these people when they're like, oh, the bars close in on me every night and I just have to get into my four poster bed with, you know, the, 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 the most luxury sheets and mattress and everything. And, you know, somebody comes in every couple hours to stoke the fire, make sure I'm not cold. Oh, it's such a hardship. It's such a hardship being me. Like, get out of here. Get out of here. So in general, yes, I would agree with you. I think the Victoria person was different. So because, like I said, she was second in line after what would have been her uncle passing away and things like that. Conroy, as a character, or Mark Strong in your world, um, did try to use her. They didn't care that she would be queen. They wanted to use what would be her position to take control and to run England and run run the world, but run England. Um, so the whole Kensington system is totally true, is accurate. She was never left alone. She had to hold a hand going down the stairs because once again, her Conroy and her mom were terrified that somebody was going to come and push her down the stairs and kill her. And then they would lose the opportunity to be in power. So what I had said earlier about them forcing her to sign the Regency Act would have had her share power with her mom until I think she was 21 or 25 or something, um, which wouldn't have been her mom being in control. It would have been this Conroy guy actually in control. So yes, I don't, I can see where you're coming from that royal life is not a prison, but I think if you were them, you would view it as a prison. Yeah, but you can only view it as a prison if you've never actually had any sort of real hardship Yeah, is what I'm kind of getting at. Like, I hear you that like before she was queen, life was hard. Yeah. And then she becomes queen. And, she got... and she's still getting pulled between two political parties. Sure, sure. She is sure. still being told and sure. being manipulated by everybody in her life. Sure. I Cool. So. I get it. But like, go fucking work in the mines for a week. You know, go work in a hospital as a nurse. Go fucking teach 30 brats how to read their letters. Like, come on. Like, let's, let's. Put some things in perspective here. A little bit. Just a little bit. I don't like did you read that spare book by Harry? I'm in the midst of reading it right now. Like, yeah. is it the same thing where he's like, oh, woe is me? So a little bit. For him, a lot of what I'm in his perspective, all of it ties back to his mom's death and stuff. And like the fact that genuine tragedy. like genuine yes. tragedy. Okay. Horrible. Horrible. Okay. And, but not horrible because she's Princess Diana. Horrible just because it's his mother. Mom, yeah. Like, his mom and the world stage that they were on and the person that she was in the world, you kind of get the impression from his book that he was never truly able to grieve as, I think he was 12 when she died, as a 12-year-old should have been able to do. Like, immediately they were, or not immediately, it took them a couple days, Um, but like, they had to go and console the crowd and take flowers from things and like they weren't really allowed to cry and things like that so like they never got time to process so yes i think if we're comparing victoria to harry both of them view the royal life as a prison you may not agree with that (laughs) 
but they do. So. All right. All right, Harry. Like, fuck. <laughs> Take you down to Barton Street here. Let's, let's see how those 12-year-olds live. Like, Christ of almighty. The, the last thing I've got for you is this is in your top four on yeah. IMDb, which is your number four or, you know, top four favorites. Yep. These are your sort of ride or die movies. So, like, is there anything that you haven't said or anything that, you know, I may have disparaged, which I'm sure there has been many things, <laughs> that you want to be like, why is this in your top four? Why is this one of your top four favorite movies of all time? So, like I said, it's probably because in a small way, I could identify with her as the coming of age. Like I said, she, I think, would have been about the age I was when the first time I watched it. Um, and so just seeing this girl go through the early part of her life and making decisions, not maybe not the right ones or the ones that everybody wanted her to do, but the things that she thought was right was interesting. I love the royal life. And for me, the royals is just... We're never going to be royals. We're never going to have palaces. We're never going to be in charge of a com country. So for me, it's it gives me the chance to kind of put myself in their shoes and kind of be like, well, like, what would I have done? A bit of, bit of escapism, a bit of uh, yeah. fantasy building. Yeah. yeah. Um, and stuff. So, yeah, that's probably. And then the love story is just just so heartwarming. So, like, they had a long marriage um, until he died. And then even after he died and she was a widow, she laid out his clothes every day. Like she, the love between them, you don't, you get to see the very early sparks of it in the movie because it's young Victoria. So you only get to see her up until she's kind of 25, 26 probably. Um, but you kind of, you get the impression that they had this loving life together and that they truly loved each other. You get to see, if you walk London right now, you get the Prince Albert Hall and the memorial for them and things like that. Like you can see the lasting effects of their rule together in London now. The thing that makes me sad now watching it is that the last statement is no longer true. So the last statement in the movie was that she had the, as Queen Victoria, she was the longest ruling monarch, which was a couple years ago passed by Queen Elizabeth at the time. So yeah, Lizzie. Lizzie, yeah, Lizzie. Lizzie? Lizzie oh, are, are we are we on? We have a nickname for her. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Can't wait for fifty years of movies about her now. Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I think yeah. Like I was pleasantly surprised okay. by actually how much I enjoyed the movie, even if I didn't really love any of the. Like I think Albert was a pretty like in the movie. I think they were all pretty cool characters. When you put them in the real life perspective or the real life counterpart, I was sort of like, well, like. I don't think so as movie cool characters, person. you enjoyed the movie character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The real life person, maybe not. Yeah. But the movie like, character, you enjoyed. Yeah, the, okay. the more I read about Victoria or Albert, I'm sort of just like, okay, whatever. Like, good for them. But, like, as characters in this movie, I was sort of like, well, like, it all works. Like, and I think I a lot of that credit has to go to Jean-Marc Vallée. Canadians. We do well, it the best. I am glad that you didn't truly hate it and that it was a pleasant surprise. I was I was kind of gearing up for it. And then about 20 minutes in, I was like, oh shit, I kind of I kind of like this. Like this is kind of enjoyable actually. So I I did feel like you said it there though. I did sort of feel that like the real story was only getting started when the movie ended. Yeah. Which like I get. It's literally called The Young Victoria. But there was a little part of me was sort of like, hmm. What would she have been like in another yeah, 20 like, years? Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like 
Yeah. It did sort of feel like uh, things were only, they only just figured it all out. Yeah. And so now it's sort of like, well, I think their actual story would have started. This is where anybody else who I was talking to, I would say, check out the Young Victoria miniseries. But like, if I said it to you, you just still wouldn't go and watch it, I'm sure. But Mostly because it's a miniseries. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just not going to do it. So, you know, the, the Victoria thing factors in at the end. We're sort of like, oh, I'm really not going to do it now. Yeah. But yeah, I don't have time. I don't have time. Yellow Jackets is back. Oh, the first two episodes were very good. I've watched them both today. <sighs> oh, they were so good. They were so good. Yeah, you can tell we're caught up because we're, we're talking to Yellow Jackets. Yeah. Now. Um, should we tease next week? Do you got a teaser for next week? It's a series that we both love. Yeah. So that well, would be a pleasant surprise. Yeah, it's a it's a trilogy that we both Oh sorry, love. a trilogy, not a series. <laughs> there there there's more than a trilogy in the series, and I I don't know if I can love <laughs> if I can say that I love the rest, but it's certainly I do love the initial trilogy. The original trilogy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh Kieran and I both love it. Would have been an easy pick of a movie if one of us had said it the other one would have oh, been like sure let's put, put it, it on. on put it on. so no questions yeah yeah so that's coming next week i think we should give listeners if you guys have a movie that you think we should check out let us know that's opening the floodgates kate i have some maniac friends out there who are gonna start... we don't have to say yes to the movie but i'm just interested oh. to see what what are we not picking up on from the 2000s when did tommy Wiseau's the room come out is that in this decade because we could be in trouble here. You have a friend that would pick the room? I have all uh, of my friends would pick the room. <laughs> all of them. Oh, there's one from 2003. Uh, 2003. Yeah, I might edit this all out so they don't even get... The option? The, like, the idea of doing this. But, yeah, I guess, yeah. Let's, fuck, let's open the floodgates here. <laughs> if you've got any <laughs> any suggestions, throw them out here. Why not? But anyways, we will we will be back next week. Like the Oceans movies, we're only doing the first one in this yes. series. We will definitely be coming back and doing at least the next two. But next week will just be the first one. The first one. Sounds good. So we'll see everybody then. Mm-hmm.